0: You know, when I'm asked to reflect on my time at an event that I've spent 20 plus years of my life at, I have these visions of different finishes come across. I see faces with tears in them. I see faces of joy. I see faces of disbelief that they can't believe they did it. But the thing that affects me most, especially here in Topal, is the community. It's almost like Every spectator is doing the race with the athletes. They're out on the course with the thousands of volunteers. They're running alongside everybody. And this island of New Zealand is, I believe, one of the most special places on earth. So when I call someone an Ironman here in the finish line in New Zealand, for some reason it has that something little extra and it always has. I could never explain it. I'd go home and go, what was that? What was that? I just think it was the community having that extra spirit of supporting the athletes. They welcome them with open arms and they appreciate performance. Hi, I'm Mike Riley. This is the Greg Bennett Show. Any questions?
1: Welcome to the Greg Bennett Show, presented by Any Question. I'm your host, Greg Bennett, and I've just finished a really wonderful conversation with the voice of Ironman, Mr. Mike Riley. Uh, Mike recently retired from calling races, actually just December 10th, 2022, at Ironman New Zealand, after 40 years of calling endurance sports events from triathlon and running and everything else in between. And, you know, he coined the phrase, you are an Ironman. And that we talk about a lot in this episode and just the meaning of that and how it impacted hundreds of thousands of people all around the world and just the sport of triathlon and what it's about. This was a really special episode. I felt so fortunate that Mike sat down with me for an hour 10 and and just shared his journey and love of the sport of triathlon and his struggle with you know, giving it away. He, he's very passionate about the world of triathlon, but you know, he also is a he's a grandpa with family and kids, and, and realizes that he can't be away every single weekend. A little bit of housekeeping before we go on. Please go check out any question. You can find that anyquestion dot com, or go to any question at iOS or, or Android, and go check it out. You're going to learn a lot. Uh, it really is going to open your eyes. Right now, we have over 26 channels, over 45,000 answers, and just some of the most amazing people sharing their knowledge. And you can go check it out, go search and discover all of this content that's already there, or go ask your own questions to anybody that you see on the platform. It truly is a wonderful platform to learn from. So go check it out, that's any question. And a little bit of a reminder, please keep the feedback coming. Uh, I really appreciate it. If you're inclined, I'd love an Apple review. If you think I'm doing a great job, um, that just helps position this podcast a little bit higher. Remember, success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. All right. Today, I am joined by an icon and a legend, in the world of triathlon and endurance sports. He's done announcing and television for running and triathlon events worldwide. Since the late 70s, he's had a microphone in his hand for thousands of endurance events. He's best known as the voice of Ironman and has announced hundreds of Ironman events around the world, including 33 Kona Ironman World Championships. Hundreds and thousands of triathletes worldwide have heard his famous phrase, you are an Ironman and he has called millions of athletes across a finishing line. An Ironman Hall of Fame, USA Triathlon Hall of Fame member, and a USA Hall of Champions for running. He's a world-renowned race announcer, commentator, podcast host of Find Your Finishing Line, and author to his inspirational book, Finding My Voice. He called his final race December 10th, 2022, at Ironman New Zealand. Over 40 years of calling events, this man is truly an Ironman. It's an honor and just an absolute privilege to have him join me today. So welcome, and thanks for joining me on The Greg Bennett Show, Mike Riley. How are you, mate? I am fantastic, Greg, and thank you for that
0: introduction. Sometimes when I hear that much, I go, who did that?
1: (laughs) Isn't it funny?
0: (laughs) Who is that? Who's that guy? Somebody said, said, you know, like the late 70s, I go, really, that long? Oh, my God.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, it, it dates you, but it's also... You must sit back and just go, wow, that guy's been pretty busy. He's been, that guy's been pretty busy. And uh, it's amazing the impact that you've had in the endurance community, especially triathlon. And I, I kind of want to start this show by firstly saying a massive congrats and just a huge thank you from the entire triathlon community for your contribu- contributions to you know, the world of triathlon and everything you've brought to it. You, you really sold the show. Um, And and I think that's just amazing what you achieved and you did for the sport. So thank you.
0: Well, I I appreciate that more than you can imagine. And, you know, it's interesting because I never really wanted to do anything so that Mike Riley would be the center of the stage because I learned early on when you get on a microphone it's not about you mm-hmm. especially when i'm bringing across you know professionals and age groupers that have gone through mm-hmm. some of them have gone through hell to even get to the start line so knowing that i always believed and and realized it's about them uh, that, that's all i wanted to do was was praise people because I, I you know i remember finishing races and i'd hear my name and go that is Oh, fantastic. You know, my work paid off. Mm. Somebody recognized it. That's all I wanted to do all those years. Well,
1: mate, th- this this show, this episode, I want to make it about you. Um, you've made it about others for 40 years. But, you know, for, for me, as a fan of the sport, as a fan of yours, I want to make this show about you. I'm fascinated about your story, about your journey um, and everything you learned over, over the years. So, you know, I guess I almost want to start at the finishing year, finishing line, because I, I the first question I really have for you is the decision to retire. Um, you know, what was that process like?
0: It was a long, tough process. Mm. You know, whenever you go through tough decisions in your life, you go back and forth with yourself. And obviously I had conversations with my wife and kids and and people close to me and just kept going back and forth. I'd make a decision one day and the next day i go, nah, I can do another year. And then you'd go the next day. Now I'd get done with an event and go, I'm beat up. You know, I'm not mm-hmm. 45 anymore. And the voice was taking longer to recover. It was It was a process where... It's something besides me was telling me it was time, you know, it, it was like, it, it was just written in the cards and, and, uh, it wasn't one exact moment where I go, Oh, I'm done. It was just this long process. And when I had them, when I made the call to Iron Man and let them know, uh, you know, that was, that was even very hard to do. And afterwards I go, what did I do? So mm, it was, mm. you know, when something's Greg, a party of your life for so long and, Sure, people identify me as, from what I've done, but my identification is with my family and, you know, trying to be a strong husband, father, you know, papa, grandpa, and and th- that that's my world when I come home. So that world, I was always, a lot of times, put by the side because of what I was doing for work, which was my passion. And both... You know, both were pretty well balanced, but you know, as you get older, you go, "Wait a minute, I, I am I going to keep repeating the cycle of being gone now for my grandkids, mm. uh, missing parties and anniversaries and birthdays?" Uh, I, 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 you know, at the end, I said to myself, "I've paid my dues, I've given it one heck of a run, and I,
1: it's just time." Yeah. That's, yeah. At the end, I go, "It's just time." Hmm it's like, you've had your turn, Laura, Laura and I always talked about when we retired from, you know, racing the sport ourselves, it was like, we got to have our turn. And, and when you have that outlook that you immediately turn it to being grateful that you actually got to have that turn and that opportunity and, and you made the most of it. Um, you know, and that's you, you hundred percent did that, you know, how many weekends a year on average were you sort of away um doing these events
0: oh gosh i always i always equated it to i i about 120 room nights and hotel rooms you know 120 days that type of thing yeah so uh and that that was the other tough part greg as you know we're in the weekend business Mm -hmm. and even when i wasn't Announcing during the week, I, you know, I helped start active.com and yeah, I worked yeah. in the endurance business. I sold sock and running. Everything was the weekend. Yeah. And yeah. I'd come home and then leave again for an event that maybe I was selling something at. So th- that's why it was always a little tougher. If, if if you and I could have traveled Tuesday through Thursday, it'd have been a piece of cake. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, I get it. I get it. <laughs> but, but the weekend just became somebody else's weekend and not yours. Uh, so it, it, uh, it's just, you know, it was a long process, but I'm, I, you know, I'm never going to kick myself, look back at it and say, I wish I'd done something different. I did exactly what I wanted to do.
1: Yeah. That's fantastic. And and the final race a couple of weeks ago, um, mm. well, let's look at two, two final races, because I think there's Kona Ironman world championships. And then there's also New Zealand, which was your actual final, final race calling those moments at those events. Um, you know, hitting midnight at those and putting the microphone down. um, You know, what was that feeling like? Yeah, walking away, the Kona...
0: Since it was two races in three days, oh boy, I, that you know, was my, a lot, me.
1: For- oh my God! My head,
0: I'm thinking, I'm thinking. Okay, you decide to do two races Whoa. in three days, and 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 I, like I said before, I'm not 45. <laughs> no. <you know? laughs> thanks, guys. Yeah. So wrapping my head around that and knowing the logistics of what we had to pull off and all that good stuff, that kind of overrode, yeah, uh, a lot until about, you know, well, I woke up Saturday morning going. Okay, we're doing this again. Okay, get your get your stuff together. You know, you you talking to yourself. The voice sounded felt okay, and I I was happy about that. But then it became about eight o'clock, Greg, on Saturday night, and I'm going, oh my gosh, this is really kind of it. Yeah. And then nine o'clock came, then ten o'clock came. And then about 1030, I went down to the finish line as I do bringing people in and, and I'm seeing people come in like Cherie Groenfeld, you know, who I've known forever and mm. I'm close to. And, you know, I, I, I kept talking to myself, hold it together, hold it together. Cause other people weren't holding it together. I'd mm. look over at you know, Diana Birch, and she's kind of looking at mm-hmm. me with this sad look, and then even Andrew Messick, and I'm going, wow, what's going on here? Hang in there, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, take it easy here. I'm the one that's got to hold my, you know, what yeah, together, and yeah. and then um, uh, my wife was there, my son, my daughter, my daughter-in-law, um, my best friends in second grade, who yeah. is my brother-in-law, <laughs> you know, and so the family's there, and, and we're all at the finish line, and then that last half hour, I just kept saying hold it together give everybody what they deserve and you know bringing that last person in was it was more emotional I think for people around me because I just Mm. you know what it was like Greg okay Mike just keep doing your keep doing what you're in the game you're
1: you're you're doing the game you're in it yeah I'm right there yeah
0: (laughs) But after we sang Hawaii Aloha and and started walking away, I, and I, you know, I I always, I always say I only have one more thing to say. And I, I yell out those four words to everyone and, Mm. and man, that hit me like a two by four. Mm. Uh, And, and then I realized, wow, this is, this is the last Kona. And then the last happened again in Arizona, the, the last <laughs> North America event, and my grandkids were there. And then the last happened in New Zealand. Yeah. It was like I was exhausted with the last. I go, I did, you know, it wasn't one last. So it was a, it was
1: a great little finished journey. Yeah, but that, I that's, it. that's, I think for somebody like yourself, um, I think the sport needs to be able to say goodbye to you too, you know. It's not you saying goodbye to the sport. There's a little bit of the sport saying thank you and and a bit of this show is a bit about that. It's, It's like... We have enormous gratitude and Dr. Dan Pluze, who's a good friend of mine, have mm-hmm. been on the show mm-hmm. many times and, you know, he won Ironman Man New Zealand. And for him, the real mm. highlight was the fact that you called him across the line for your very last time and, and it, it means something to people. You know, it's uh, there's a deep meaning there. It's not just words, there's a there's a feeling and um I don't know. It's something a lot more than just hearing somebody's voice. Is true meaning behind it? Yeah, I had
0: I had a lot of people come up to me, even at those races and and age groupers and pros. And so, what some of the pros said to me, who I never. You know, I'm I'm close to a lot of them, but hmm. it's not like, you know, we're, we're the best of friends just because yeah. you see each other two times a year or three times a year. But you have respect for one another. And they go, Mike, I, th- you don't know how what this means to me. I go, really? Yeah, that you're calling me in on my last one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it, even Chelsea Sidaro who's who's, yeah. who's Chelsea knee Riley. You know, she's mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and and I go, really? I it just but age groupers would come up and go no you're you're not really done are you, you tell me you're not really done I, I think they thought I was gonna go that I was carrying around an oxygen tank with me I don't know uh, <laughs> you know my friends would say Riley you're gonna do this when you're in a wheelchair yeah. screaming at people hurry up yeah. I gotta go to bed get in yeah. here you know yeah <laughs> but uh, it, it just it was more unbelievable for people that I uh, hung up the microphone than I think it was for
1: me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you had been preparing yourself, like you said, for, for a yeah. while and everybody else, maybe it felt a little bit sudden. And is there somebody else that's going to be, have you, have you passed it on for who's going to use your phrase? You are an Ironman. Have, have you sold the rights or is it, you know, are athletes still going to be able to hear that phrase from somebody else? They better. I, you know, <laughs> I, I, I. I I've told, uh, and,
0: and you know, it's interesting. I I'd work with somebody years back and they'd, they'd say, Mike, I'm not going to say, you say that. I go, no, you're on the microphone now. I got to go to the bathroom. Do not, this, this isn't my phrase. I don't own those four words. <laughs> it's for the athletes. Hmm. It's not ours. It's not whomever's on that microphone. I love it. So they need to hear it. And- Remember nowadays, yeah, everybody's listening online. Their family and friends are waiting for it as much as the athletes. Yeah. So no matter who's on the microphone at any event around the world, I hope they hope they do. Hmm. You know, funny story. I went to Frankfurt years back uh, to work that event. They asked me to come on over and and the. Uh, uh, I said to the uh, race director, I go, you know, I can say it in German, you know, because I could say it in most all the language. He goes, <laughs> no, 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 do not do that. They want to hear you are an Ironman because that's what's in Kona. And so it's like this four word universal language. I, I, call, I, you know, I think they're the four greatest words in sport. Mm. Better than calling a home run or a soccer goal or whatever it is, because it's for the masses. It's mm. for the... Mm. Everyday people like you and I who go through some incredible journeys to get to a start line. Yeah. And so it's not my words. I, I, I would hope and I know a
1: lot of them will. I mean, they, they I you know, be calling out those words. I, I, I couldn't, I, I love that you say that. And, and I think it is something for people to really aspire to, to be able to, you know, cross that line. It's been a hell of a journey to get there to hear those words just cements it. It's like the exclamation point. You know, it's like you hear that, those words from you or now from somebody else, but it really does say, hey, you did it, um, and I think that's really cool. Well, what I want to do right now is, is rewind the clock. You know, one of my favourite things to do on this show is just to, to go through the journey and go back to the very start. Tell me about when you sort of first found your passion for the sport of triathlon and in, in endurance sports as a whole. When did that all start?
0: Well, being in San Diego, I moved to San Diego from Ohio in seventy six and got hooked up right away with a running group. I wrestled in college, but I only ran to lose weight to make my weight. And friend who I played racquetball with said, Hey, we run at Balboa Park every Wednesday night at five o'clock. I go, Hey, I used to run, you know, in college to lose weight. Mm-hmm. So we go out for a six mile or cross country in, in Balboa Park in San Diego, which is, you know, up and down and all that good stuff mm-hmm. on trails. And I thought I, I I don't think I walked for three days after that. So it's time to stay. I go these 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 people are insane. I, I, how could they? You know I I was just happy to stay with them and but it just beat me up. But I got. I got hooked. I go, this is, oh yeah, 10K race, you know, half marathon race. And then I'd go down to Fiesta Island certain nights of the week and the Tinley brothers would be down there and we'd be doing these. What are we going to do today? Well, we're going to swim here and run here and ride here. And, you know, it was just having a blast. And and I go, I just got enamored with it and owned running shoe stores here in San Diego, Mm -hmm. sold those and became a rep. So I was always involved and, and, you know, I was lucky enough to produce my income in endurance early on. Mm -hmm. So I just got hooked. And then, you know, one time at a race, I, I couldn't run because I had a bad hamstring and I I went to watch everybody. It was a 10 K down at mission Bay. And, and, uh, the race took off and the race director goes, what are you doing? I go, I got a bad hamstring. And she goes, I got this microphone and this stand up (laughs) megaphone speaker, one of those old mega. And she goes, I printed out the entries and there was only like, you know, 250, 300 people in the race. She goes, you call out their names when they finish you know everybody. I go, well, I don't know everybody. He goes, you know, some people. And it hit me. I go, oh, this is cool. I could crank some of my friends coming in telling them, yeah. you know, next time train or something. Yeah. You know? yeah. So, so I got on the microphone started calling people in and saying their names. really all I had. And, and I saw the looks on their faces like, and they're waving to me and everything. I go wave back. Yeah. Congratulations. Great oh, run. That's cool. And I go, that's what I'd want to hear too. You yeah. know, I mean, it just was something that I was enamored by, yeah. uh, and so I just started announcing events. And, and then one event, I was, I was running. It was a, a half marathon, and the race said, "You got to announce my event." I go, "No, I'm, I'm entered. I'm running it." You know, I was running all the time. And, <laughs> yeah. And uh, he goes, "Well, I'll pay you." I go, "What do you mean you'll pay me?" <laughs> <laughs> I, I go, "Really, you'll?" pay me in my mind to like talk on the microphone. And I, I always, I, I was a member of Toastmasters. I like giving speeches and, mm-hmm. you know, I always wanted to, cause I was in sales. So I wanted to perfect, you know, the craft and, and I go, Oh, okay. I I'm thinking to myself, I could always run an, I could run this race next year or another half marathon. And he, he paid me and I'm thinking, wow, this is, that's crazy. And so then people asked me to, yeah, and it was the hardest thing for me to do. They asked me to announce, and I go, uh, can you give me 150 bucks? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. Otherwise, they I go, want a rice.
1: <laughs> they go, what?
0: I go, well, you you pay for your porta potties. You pay for your pylons. You pay for, you know, they go, all right. And they were really reluctant. And it was it was a tough road of, of being paid to announce. And yeah. I talked to a lot of other announcers. I don't know if they... They didn't see it as a necessity and everything. I saw it as a huge part of the event to take care of the athletes, uh, do what the race director wants you to do, and then take care of the sponsors publicly. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so uh, that's how it all started, and it just kept going from there.
1: Uh, thank goodness for the hamstring injury, huh? It's like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things. I bet you were cursing about having a hamstring injury. You didn't know it was going to set you up for you know, a career of 40 years or so and no kidding. and just touching no on kidding. what you were saying about the importance. I've always felt when I look at any sport that I guess in the analogy I'll use is almost like a, there's a car sitting on in, in a lot and without a great car salesman, that car is probably just going to sit there. You need the person to be able to sell the product, the person that can show appreciation to the athletes that are racing so they can hear their name and it makes them feel so special. And it's still, it's one area in our sport that I still think we can do even you know more when I look at some of the events that we have. We need to keep investing in the people that add the color, that, that add the enthusiasm and passion and make people feel special. Um, but you were the start of that. You were the one that actually said, hey, this is actually a worthy career and you need me, you, you know, you need, to, you need me to be able to sell the event. When did you first get in contact with sort of Ironman and triathlon? How did that all happen?
0: Well, uh, we, I was announcing triathlon events. I actually worked assistant race director and announced the first ever pro triathlon in San Diego, okay. the one in Solana beach and, mm. you know, and Mark and Dave and, uh, <laughs> it, there was SQ, you know, all those guys from the early years and so I was always involved with triathlon doing you know races and then announcing and then Mike Plant who lived here in San Diego and ran running in triathlon news he had mm-hmm. that publication he was the one going to Kona announcing the race there because he always went to cover the mm-hmm. you know the race for the newspaper but they, they had him announced and then the race director said to him uh after the eighty eight race you know you need help you can't do this by yourself this race you know there's logistics and everything he goes well, I got a guy in San Diego a buddy of mine and so he called me up and he said, Valerie Silk would like to talk to you about working with me. And I go, really? And I was scheduled to do the race in 89. I was training really? for it, yeah. you know, the whole deal. Wow. And she called up and, and I said, well, Valerie, I, you know, cause she said, I'll fly you over and give you a room. I go, well, I already had that. I'm, I'm doing the race. She goes, yeah, I saw that. But why don't you announce, you can always do the race later. And I go, yeah, I'm training with my, bu- I can't, my, my thing, Greg was, I got to go back and tell the guys that. I'm not going to race. They, they yeah, kill me. No you know, way. Yeah, you know how yeah, that goes, yeah, the peer pressure. <laughs> so I, I actually turned her down mm-hmm. and said, no, I, I'm sorry. Thank you very much, but I'll do the race. And then in my mind, I'm thinking maybe we'll talk after that. Uh And then she called back. And then one day she told me what she would pay me because we never talked money. And I go, oh, my gosh. I told my wife, I, I went home and said, hey, Valerie called me again. And she said god can't that woman take no for an answer mm. i i go but this is what she wants to pay me she, and rose goes you can always do that damn race going going on we got two little kids here you know yeah the yeah. whole the whole deal yeah, so yeah and then i realized it was like being called up to the big leagues and mm. and and i went and worked with mike for two years and
1: well, he what a christening hold on what it, a 89 was your first call right at ironman kona exactly like honestly bringing mark and dave in the ultimate iron battle the iron war whatever we call it these days yeah i mean truly the most iconic event our sport has ever seen i i think Um, what people
0: forget is rick and dick hoyt that's the first year they did the race too yes
1: of course i see i see
0: this raft going into the water after all the age groupers took off and i go what is this guy doing i didn't know who he was yeah this is a boston guy i didn't and then somebody told me and in my mind, I'm going, well, gosh, he'll probably, too bad, he'll probably never finish. And he, and he does. And it's just, you know, I had Mark and Dave, uh, you know, Welchie yeah. coming in yeah, third, Welchie introduced in third. To, to, yeah. to Greg.
1: Yeah. And,
0: and then, you know, Rick and Dick. Yeah. Uh, it just was, it was know, an epic year. the
1: greatest thing ever. Yeah. You know? I, I look back at that, you know, because I kind of started the sport around 85, 86 in Australia. Right. And we would get the Ironman. Event, usually about three to six months later, on wild water sports in Australia, you know, and we'd all sit up and watch it. And it was just, you know, I'm a 17 year old kid at that time. It it couldn't have happened at a better time in my life to go, well, what do I want to do with my life, you know? And I was heading off to university and everything. But it was like that the impact of that year, that event, and what it did to myself, guys like Chris McCormack, Craig Mm -hmm. Alexander, all of us in Australia, that inspirational 89 triggered a lot of us to go, hey, this is the sport i want to get into now i didn't go win kona by any means but the other two did and i think that actually triggered a whole generation of people that event
0: there's no doubt i had the same conversation with cameron brown and when mm. i was in new zealand yeah and he came to the race and we were together quite a while and and uh i go can you believe this and he goes mike 89 that's one that's what turned me on to this doggone yeah. sport yeah. You know? yeah and here is what a 12 13 time winner of new zealand and yeah. Yeah. second a couple of times. Th- You're right. It just, it inspired a generation that that really actually, I, I, in my mind, set the foundation and standard for what what uh, uh, triathlon racing should be all about. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, watching you, you those years going, I go, how does this guy go full out, full out, you know, the, the way you raced? And and, <laughs> and then you'd see, you know, guys like McCormick, oh my gosh, how can they go that fast on the bike? And then... Knock it off with a great run. It, we was just I was enamored. I was a fan. And so when I was on the microphone, I I I probably displayed that along with the other fans mm. in there. Uh, yeah. You know, there. So it was maybe it was great I never did the race because I'm still enamored by people getting it done. <laughs> no, I <laughs> you know? think I, I don't know
1: if it would have mattered had you done it or not done it. I think you and I and other we're just such fans of the sport and the people that do it. It's the people, right? It's it's not professional athlete versus amateur Adrian. It's Everybody, right. You know, it's like this community of people that are all just trying to get more out of life. And when you surround yourself with people that just want to live, it's it's very, uh, you, you don't want to leave it. It's, it's kind of like, this is a part of my soul. And, and hence, I have this podcast now. I'm not an athlete by any means anymore, but I love these conversations, you know, because mm-hmm. I want to be around these people. When, when did you first use the phrase, you know, you are an Iron Man. When did that all happen? And, and, and you know, was that the first time you were there? Or was it years later? No, I never said that in '89 and '90.
0: Okay. Uh, and then uh, I had a friend in Kona, in '91, Dan Trone from San Diego, who I know, and I saw him on a lead drive a few days before the race. Okay, hey, Danny, how you doing? Uh, I'm all right. <laughs> <laughs> kind of had a bad. I go, what's wrong? He is high. Ah, I don't think I'm going to do that well. I I don't know my training hasn't been going well and yeah. and I just oh god you're running great. I ran with you a couple of times. You know down on Mission Bay. You're yeah, you're, you're going to be okay. And the year before he uh he had a great time. Uh and, and so I just couldn't understand it. I go, well, that's, he's had kind of a bad attitude. The day before the race, I see him checking his bike and he goes, yeah, I know you tried to pump me up, Riley, but I I don't know about tomorrow. And I go, dad, don't worry, you're going to be okay. And then it hit me. I go, don't worry, you'll be an Ironman tomorrow. Hmm. And he, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, all right. He waved to me and walked his bike into transition. So the day comes along and, you know, back in 91. I mean, there was no spotting. Everything was, guys were calling me from the, the Queen K on the payphone. Hey, they just went by. I go, how many? Three of them. Who were they? I don't know. They were going too fast. That was my spotting out there then. <laughs> and so I didn't know where anybody really was. And then here comes Dan down Ali Drive. Mm-hmm. And I, I see him. And the other uh, announcer was on the microphone. I go, hey, I got this guy. Mm. So I started bringing him in, Dan Trone from San Diego, California. I set his age, the whole deal, and yeah, and uh, it just hit me. I go, yeah, he is, uh, Dan Trone, You are an Iron Man. It was like I was putting mm. it in his face, like I told you so. Yeah, I told you. I love that. Yeah. he went like eleven hours, eleven something. Yeah, you know, yeah. so it was a Decent, great day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and he pointed up at me, and I pointed back at him. That's kind of where the pointing. Uh, sometimes I'll just point at somebody, and yeah, they point back. But, yeah. And then the crowd set up this roar and i go wow they don't really know who dan is it's not like he's some famous athlete i go that's interesting so the next person came in and i stayed on the microphone and I go, well heck they're an iron man too wow. and i laid it out and the crowd started cheering like crazy and i go and, and then the other announcer didn't w- really want to say it and i go why don't you they like that and he goes no 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 i'm not saying that <laughs> So when when he got they're screaming up, say it, say it. The crowd's yelling so I got a microphone and just started ripping it out. And people and the athletes were waving like like they were told something that they knew, they knew already. Uh, yeah. But that confirmation of it just hit everybody in the heart. It just and I realized, you know, it's not like I stayed up at night, oh what can what can I say to somebody like, you know, when somebody hits a home run or scores a goal, you know, the announcer has a certain I never thought. Uh, I just wanted to congratulate everybody. Well, that was the ultimate congratulation right there. I found it. I knew when when I, I, I and I I was just aware enough that, you know what, this is it. And even when women came in, I I, I, at first I go, okay, what should I do? Mm-hmm. The first woman's coming in. And I just said, you are an Ironman because it's an Ironman event. Yeah. And uh, they were waving to me and I go, well, I guess it's okay. So. That's <laughs> such
1: a wonderful story. It really is because it's come just from you and a mate and then the reaction of the crowd reinforced it. And then you see the athletes coming in When anybody says your name, it makes you feel special in any part of your life. If somebody remembers your name or knows your name, we all love our name to be told. But then for that to happen with your name to be told and appreciation and recognition behind it, I can see the impact, and everybody's exhausted too. So it's just kind of like yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's the perfect mix, right? <laughs> so even to this day, some still don't hear it. They'll, yeah. they'll
0: come up, Mike, you didn't call me an Iron Man, and the, the guy's wife will be standing there. and She goes, yes, he did. I... <laughs> <laughs> and, and then I'll look at him, i go, you were delirious. He goes, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I was. I yeah. didn't hear it. You know? <laughs> I know.
1: I think I had the same feeling, actually. My, the one time I did Kona 2012, I'm not sure if you were on the – The women yeah. – were oh. just brought in and I came in right here. Yes. I was chicked everybody. If you must know, yes. Okay. I was walking in with, uh, Michael Raylert and a few others. We all had oh, wow. average, average days. I think we were all nine hours or something. And so the women had just came in and we were all trying to not be in the women's finishing shoot, which is why it's so oh, great The women yeah. have their own event now because us pro men, we got to start, but these women are also hunted us down and then overtook us and we didn't want to get in the camera shots and everything else and so I kind of scurried in when I when I crossed that line at Kona it was almost I was happy and and joyful to have ticked a box and done it you know I was 40 Mm -hmm. I think I was almost 41 yeah so I'd done it before I retired and that's what I'd wanted to do just tick, tick the box but it was definitely one of those where I kind of hid and I don't think you called my name Oh my God. Never even got your (laughs) name? You must have really hit. No, I did. I did because it was kind of like, it's like, uh, you don't want to take away that moment for the people that had great races. That was always the predicament we had. You know, if you'd had an average day as a man, you were going to be chicked. And that's how good the women are, by the way. I'm just saying they're phenomenal. And you know, you have an average day, you're going to be beaten and it's going to, I don't want to ruin their day. So that was always it. But mate, so look, you, you, you've you done this for so many years. I want to sort of, you know, you have your book, um, Finding My Voice, which everybody should read. It's absolutely inspiring. So many Thank wonderful you. stories in there. So please go check it out. Amazon, you, Walmart, anywhere you want to, any good bookstore, you can find it, Finding My Voice. But I, wanted, I want to chat about some of, the great stories for you personally. They can either come from the book, uh, uh, as I'm sure they they might, but I'd love to just for you to share two or three of the stories that when you look back that really stand out to you from this past 30, 40 years. You
0: know, whenever you do something for the first time, if it was good, you, you remember it. And that 89 race, the whole experience was mm. like I was on the outside looking in, pinching myself and then... Mm when Mark and Dave set up that performance, and remember being in San Diego, Mark was training out of here. You know, I'd sometimes go on the Tuesday run and try to stay with everybody for the first two miles and then they'd take off, you know? <laughs> and so you you knew what he could do. I never knew, you know, Dave being the man. And so that memory is always going to be just really, yeah. just really up top for me. Mm. Individually, there are so many. I know. You know, when I started, I'd bring in the pros and bring in the age fast age groupers. But then all of a sudden, when you start getting to those witching hours of the last three hours <laughs> and see that, you know, 68-year-old grandmother come in who battled breast cancer and you get to call her name and see mm. her kids in the, in the crowd uh, there for her crying. Mm. There are so many like that. The first one that really got me was Sarah Reinerson, you know, the first female amputee to attempt Kona, mm-hmm. and and she was also living and training in San Diego, so we knew what she was doing. She was part of the Challenge Athlete Foundation, and mm-hmm. so everybody, you know, gosh, Sarah's she's going to do it. She's going to smash it. Uh, I was announcing bringing people to the finish line, and I heard this kind of roar behind me, and it's where the the bike uh, ended right behind me mm-hmm. before they went into transition and and i kind of heard this wailing this crying i turn around there's sarah with her hands on her knees uh and people talking to her and i'm going what's going and then it hit me i go oh my god it's past 5:30 she missed the bike cutoff mm. i was I, it's the first time i was just stunned and devastated i go what that that couldn't have happened she can't go on i'm i'm talking to myself finally uh, one of the assistants in the announcer tapped me, Mike, Mike, somebody's coming in. I, w- I completely w- just spaced out and didn't even think about the finish line. And here I was at bringing mm. people in. Mm. So I had to turn the mode back to on again and bring somebody. But the rest of the day, I'm like, oh my gosh. So when I went down to the finish line, the later hours as I do, Sarah was sitting there with her mom and I just went over to her real quick in between finishers. I go, Sarah. And she goes, Mike, I'm doing this next year. I'm getting this done. And she had this just look on her face. I go, good for you. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking a year is a long time, but she set that model of unfinished business and came back the next year. And when I brought her in, I mean, there wasn't a dry, everybody knew her story. I didn't have to say anything. Mm -hmm. But then when she was coming in, And she came in. I don't know why I was down at the finish shoot. I don't know. Maybe because just for her, I can't remember everything, all those quick decisions I make of Mm. moving around. Uh, But I was down there waving my towel as I always did and brought her in. And I could hardly get the words out. And my voice cracked. I'm thinking, don't scream into the mic. But I was just like one of the fans screaming because Sarah did it. Mm. So that one always sticks out with me because it proved that, you know, when you get knocked down, you, you get back up. Mm. And I also knew that proved that everybody that was seeing it, you know what, what am I complaining about? Mm. You know, so finishes like that set the foundation of who I wanted to be and how I wanted to live my life. I had examples in front of me, 2,500 of them at every race. So those, those types of stories. And when I bring someone in, especially A family member or a relative or a dear friend, when you knew what they went through to to get there, bringing them
1: home was just a pure pleasure to to the greatest call I ever made. It Uh, it really uh, is like this um, human emotion, right? It's like at the core when you see people that are, to your point with Sarah, that have been knocked down and they just keep getting back up and they keep fighting and that human spirit, it truly does just stop, stop you in your tracks. Stop your complaining. It affects your gratitude. It affects the way you look at life. You know, it, it, it affects all of us in a way. And that's why that, that Ironman finishing line is one of the most alive places that you can ever exist, ever be right. It's like, it's a human connection like none other.
0: Yeah. I'll have people come up to me. It was Lake Placid this year and that race had been going on for 22, 23 years. Guy came up to me and said, "Mike, I." I did this race back in the early 2000s. And I go, wow, that's great. He goes, I'm here volunteering, but I need to tell you a story about when you brought in an 18-year-old who came in right before the midnight hour. Uh, he had crashed his bike. He had a broken collar. He was all wrapped up and, and he, you gave him everything, but I'll never forget his finish. It, and here, here I was in my 30s and an 18-year-old was inspiring me. And I'm thinking, wow, mm. that, that's... You don't get that a lot in life, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. where an 18-year-old is inspiring a 30-some-year-old. But you're right. That finish line, uh, it's life. Yeah, it, You know, you go through the ups and downs, and you, you got to get to the finish line every day sometimes. And and uh, when I'd see people do that or overcome addictions in their life, mm. and they go, Mike, this, this helped cure me. Mm. I mean, think about that. <laughs> mm. Someone's uh, homeless. And I've brought some homeless people in that have brought their lives back from addiction. And they go, this, this helped cure me. This, this, this is how I transform myself. And when I tell people that, that are kind of outside the industry, they go, what? I go, I'm telling you, it can transform Mm -hmm. people because they Mm -hmm. tell me it's not, I'm not trying to preach it to you. I've seen it. I've been, I've been told about it
1: and uh, I've witnessed it. So. It happens. For people that are struggling in life, it's like, let's give them a seat at, a, at an Ironman for the last three to four hours and just let them witness human performance and, and, and let them witness human emotion at, at a next level. It can really have an impact and, and trigger you to make the changes you need, right? It's, it's so empowering uh, that I think everybody should be sitting at have At least once, go sit at a finishing line, especially in those midnight hours and watch some of those human human stories. During these years, have you had any kind of low times or any times where, you know, you've had bloopers or mishaps? A- anything that's kind of, you're like, oh, I got away with that one moments? Well, when you're live on the microphone, you never get away with it.
0: <laughs> you know, people can forgive you, but they don't forget. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. I've said a few things that I, I wasn't proud of.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. Mainly.
0: And, and it was really things, Greg, that trying to be funny.
1: Yeah. And, yeah.
0: and I learned that early on and, and I learned a lesson quick in the early nineties. And I said something about, Uh, some athletes from another country Mm. and uh, about their swimming abilities. And as soon as I said it, you know, a a lot of people laughed and thought it was funny. But then I thought, what am I doing? (laughs) Why would I
1: diss or say something disrespectful to a group of people just because and it's not even you right it's like it's an out-of-body experience you're like i'm not even that person i was just trying to be funny. what yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: and so i learned and and i when i mentor people i go you know you don't need to try to be funny if you yeah. just be natural mm. and sometimes i'd say and people start laughing i go i didn't say that to be funny <laughs> i'm go. what are they laughing at and people would, that was good mike and i'm thinking uh, okay and then other things when you try to be funny you're not going to be i you know, I'm not a Robin Williams. You can't, you you can't do that type of stuff Mm. uh, when you're publicly on a microphone. So I learned my lesson early. And so I just wanted to make sure that I uh, appealed to everybody because I knew everybody out there listening was from 80 to, you know, from 18 to 80 years old. And uh, I knew some groups wouldn't understand some of the things I said, but but it's a young sport. Mm. I think the older generation appreciated uh, that passion because I would tell people, I, I, I go, you're here now, it's, you know, five o'clock in the afternoon. Your athlete comes in, go get dinner. Come on back to the final yeah. few hours because you'll witness more passion right here at this finish line than maybe you have over the last... Year mm-hmm. and when they look at when they, I say that they look at me, but I've had people come back. And go, Mike, you were right. That I've never felt what I felt when I saw those people finish. Mm. I had six of our very very dear friends fly into Arizona for the last race. They were racing their racers. They raced the Baja mm-hmm. One Thousand, so they flew a private plane in to come watch my last few hours so they got there about six o'clock in Arizona oh, wow. four of them had never seen an Ironman finish line and I've been together and our best friends for 30 some years <laughs> But they never, they just, it just never, you yeah. know, Yeah, two, two of the six did. Yeah. And I could tell that I'm bringing people in and they're sitting there watching the looks on their faces. They came up to me in unison after the race. Why, why didn't you convince us to come here So I go, I've been telling you to come to a finish line for years, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and they're not in that world, but yeah, somebody from the outside sees that and they go, I, I have never seen
1: anything like that. Never seen anything like that. It really is special what did you prefer? You preferred the live commentary over, over television. Do you know, you like to be, I'm sorry, on ground versus the TV. I mean, you did a bit of both, but you spent most of your time on ground, it seemed.
0: Yeah. I started out on ground and then I was doing TV for the Chicago triathlon in the mm-hmm. years, you know, about, about that race. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, Everybody was there. So I would do the uh, television with that and work with a local sports person there. And, and, and I I liked it, but a- after a while I go, this is like, I'm faking my passion at a certain time. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm like, yeah. It was I was announcing it live for the television, but yet it was 10 or 15 minutes after the fact of something that happened. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I did an okay job. They kept wanting me to come back. And finally, I go, you know, I'd rather just announce a race. They looked at me like I was nuts. I said, what do you mean? You'd just rather do the live, not, not TV. Mm. I go, I'm not, I'm not. I don't need to be on TV. It's not, uh, you know, having I don't know a if producer it wasn't who I was. But and, yeah, uh, I just knew in my gut. I go, I think I can be of more service, so to speak, if I do live. Hmm. Uh, and you know. Uh, I'd I'd much rather just do voiceover for it afterwards, and that's what I ended up. I started doing voiceover for it, mm. and and that was even
1: kind of hard. I can't stand voiceover. <laughs> it, it's, it's already been done, and you got to be enthusiastic about. I'm it. I'm looking <laughs> at the screen, going, "All right, oh
0: yeah, you passed them." Oh, you know, it's the you know worst. That. Yeah, and then I just said, "Mike, just do the live, yeah. just be live, yeah," and because I knew that. I could have an instant impact and the athletes could hear it right then and there. And it was about them. Sure, you want to have a great television broadcast like the show for Ironman or the other great triathlons out there. They help promote the sport. And, and the people we have on the microphone doing that are, they're fantastic. I But it just wasn't me. No,
1: I can appreciate that. I I'm certainly have only done a few, nothing nothing remotely like you have. But the times I've had to do the voiceover, it's been very uncomfortable. Television, when I've done, uh, I was actually with NBC in 2019 for the Iron Man. Um, and I was up, you know, up in their offices. Yeah, in up the in the, north, the yeah. Yeah. And uh, I was in studio with McKeeley Mich- Jones and, and a couple of others. and. It, just, you know, you got your producer in your ear, lovely people, lovely folks, by the way, NBC sport, really great people, but you got the producer in your ear and Greg, what are you going to talk about when we come back from, you know, this commercial or whatever? But like, well, I'm going to talk about, you know, um, Patrick Langer having a really great swim coming out of the back of the, you know, okay. So you're going to say exactly that. Okay. McKeeley, what are you going to say? And so then you'd almost talked about it and then you had to talk about it. Then you had to be like almost presenting it like it was your first time. Oh, and Greg, you've got 20 seconds to wrap it up. Oh, my God. I found um. that so difficult to go, okay, Patrick Long has had a great swim and, you know, this has set him up for an amazing race. It was kind of, that's the big story that's come out of the swim today. And, McKeeley, what do you got? And it's like you have these little moments and I'm like, ah. I found that really frustrating, to be honest. <laughs> uh, you brought back memories of that happening to me, and I'm thinking,
0: what? Well, I have no control here. Mm. Uh, you know, when I'm live, sure, I'm, nobody's really telling me what to say. I mean, race director may throw something up. Hey, we've got a. a Mention this, all right? Yeah, yeah I got yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. You know that type of thing. That's as hard as it was go, but that's why I'm I have so much respect for you know Michael Lovato and Didi and yeah. and the rest of the crew that does yeah. a, 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 not only Ironman races, and I I watch them go. Oh my gosh, I couldn't do that. <laughs> I just couldn't do that. <laughs> okay. Bully
1: for them. That is. How do they keep talking like that? I know, (laughs) I know. Look, I think all of us just love the sport and we all find our little way of being involved. Um, You know, I'd love to do more commentary work. Unfortunately, my my work has taken me away, but to do the Collins Cup last year and and, and I did it side by side with Phil Liggett, which for me was a bit of a career highlight just to be able to announce a race with Phil Liggett. It would have been a career highlight had I been able to announce with you, Mike, somewhere. Um, Because you're around people that you've admired for so long tell tell me about i want to move on to your book what was the process like you know of writing the book finding my voice was that something you'd always thought you wanted to do did you know what was that process
0: it was it was about 10 15 years ago i I keep a diary of every race and wow and people started they started coming up and telling me their story i'd meet them at a race and i'm like i I need to tell you what happened to me i go yeah what and they tell me the story of what happened in their life and the whole that I walk away and somebody else would, then I'd start receiving emails of some go. Well, everybody wants to kind of tell me their story. And, and I think it was my son said, dad, you're, you're the connection for them. Who else are they going to tell a story to at, at the event organization? They, yeah, not like they're going to send an email mm. to the CEO or send an email to PR. Or, so you're there and they can touch you and see you and get mm. a you know, hold of you and, and you listen. And I go, of course I do. I mean, I, because that's, I, I want to know their story <laughs> and I'd write notes down the next race they were doing. And then they started putting it in the bios. So I, I just started kind of documenting and, and putting them all together. Here it is. Mike Riley is receiving these stories and I felt it would be selfish not to pass some of them on. I, I really did. And so then I started to, well, maybe I'll put them in a book form. And that was like, five, six years ago. And it took me forever to pull the trigger just because I was probably lazy
1: about it. Well, it's a big undertaking, mate. <laughs> it's the fact that yeah, you got across I, the finishing line. I, it's
0: huge. Yeah, we went through the process with an agent in New York, finding me a publisher, that whole deal. And, mm. and my son again, you know, who's much smarter than I am, said, well, I'm looking into this. We're going to self-publish. One, you're not beholden to a publisher. You know, Even though they want to give you money up front doesn't mean you can't make more on your own, uh, or you can't have more control. Dah, dah, dah. So we self-published, and that was a whole. That was like going back to college again, for God's sake. <laughs> Drinking go, through a fire hose, I right? Go, what? <laughs> and and it was a great process, but it was yeah. something that uh, was a real labor of love, and and that's what got me through that. And mm. so then I wanted to share the stories that I impacted me and changed my life in a certain way, and I know it changed others. And the toughest part, Greg, was leaving some stories out.
1: Yeah. I mean,
0: ones that I wanted, I, I couldn't write War and Peace, for goodness sakes. But, but it's like it could because there's so many stories mm-hmm, out there. Mm. I'm sorry. That's why I, I'm i continuing with my podcast because it's like, yeah. you know, every podcast can be a, a, a chapter absolutely of a book. And absolutely. Uh,
1: that's why I, I'm continuing to do it that way. I love it. And I love that you're, you're a storyteller. You're getting stories out of everybody else. You know, your book is fantastic. The reviews are all phenomenal. How, how have you seen the reaction to the book? What's the reaction been? Like. The, the book business is interesting because
0: it, not everybody buys books. And, uh, you know, so I've called half a million people in Ironman. Are half a mi- million people going to buy the book? Well, no. Mm. So it just, it started out a little slow and it's still, it just started building. And then when I'd go to an event or I'd go to a signing, I said, I'm going to go to the event. I'll take a hundred books and sit there. And so mm. I'd sign them and sell them. And I go, well, that's pretty cool. Mm. And I'd sell out. I'd go to the next event. Oh, I'll take 150. I'd sell out. There was no limit on it. Mm. And this last year has been phenomenal. Uh, the, the other thing is I, I did the audio book. Yes, I, yes, I, I narrated that's... that. And mm. that is, that's still the strongest of anything. It always has been over mm. print was that audiobook. Uh, and, and it's, you know, it's cheaper to buy. People buy audiobooks
1: all the time and and they were happy that I uh, recorded it. I, I love that you did record it because I'm an audible book. I'm an audiobook myself. I, I like to go through, you know, a book a week right. usually is what right. I go, you know, for my runs and, and everything these days. Most of mine are, you know, business or leadership type books these days, but it's, it's really great to just have a book that's a little just stories. And, and it's just so, you don't want to stop whatever you're doing. You know, I'm always like, okay, maybe I'll run another mile just to get through more. Because I don't think I've read a book, I picked up and actually physically read a book for, for many years, but audible books, I go through them like you wouldn't believe. I love them. Um, yeah. It, 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 that was an interesting process. I'm I'm just really glad I did it. Yeah. And just to hear your voice. Um, what about, what about, you know, the podcast, you said you're going to keep that going. It's, it's oh, a yeah. fascinating show where we're basically, you're talking to anybody that has, you know, successful people and across varying backgrounds. How are you finding the people you want on your show? Is it just people that you want to hear stories from, or are they reaching out to you? When I wrote the book, my goal was not, oh, Mike Riley, I'm going to try
0: to inspire and motivate people. and Mm. Because I've given motivational talks at corporations and and I don't call them motivational talks. I tell stories of other people and what they've overcome. And I let the audience pull out of it what they will. Yes, Because not everybody's on the same level at the same time of their life. So Mm. you can't key in on one certain thing and think you're going to hit the masses, you're not. Mm. So it, writing the book, I told different stories for different types of people, whether it was about somebody losing a family member mm. or somebody mm. having cancer or whatever. And so the podcast is a continuation of that. Sure, I'll have pros on like I've had you know, Sam Long or Tim Don. Or, mm-hmm. But then I have age groupers. I have everyday people on who have overcome, who people don't know, mm. who may only have 200 Instagram followers. I don't care. But when I heard the story, I go, you got to be kidding me. I, I He overcame that to get to the start line of, of that race. People have to hear this. They have to hear his story. Hmm. So those are the ones that seem to be having the longevity. People will send me a message. Oh, I listened to so-and-so. And I'm thinking, that was last year in June it's amazing, that I did it? that one. Mm-hmm. But they just listened to it. So it's timeless because... Their story has a beginning, but that has no real end, except that they help themselves out and cured. So people get to pull out of it what they will. They get to pull out of it what is good for them. Hmm. And so that's how I choose guests that, you know, the ones that inspire me. And sure, I'll have a running guru on or, a you know, Mark and Alan and I <clears throat> went back and forth a mm-hmm. couple of times, which is very cool. I talked to Dave McGilvery, the Boston, you know yeah, Dave, the Boston. Dave. Yeah, no, Dave. Well, yeah, and and Dave's a you know very inspirational person. So when people hear what he did, they go, "What am I? I got to get off my couch." Hmm. And that's all I want to do is be able to inspire people through others. Sure, I can I can tell stories or tell people that you know what you need to do this in your life to be able to get to do this because I've done it. And I do that to a certain respect,
1: but I let other people tell their story and let people get out of it what they will. You know, I started my podcast just over three years ago and right. uh, I really came at it in a direction like, oh, you know, what can we learn from successful people? What can we learn? You know, this, 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 you know, how do they sleep? How do they eat? Blah, blah, blah. And it was all very high performance type focus. And then over time, I kind of realized, one, everybody has a story. Everybody mm-hmm. I meet has a journey and it's worth sharing. Um, I've become a far better listener. Um, I like to think anyway, <laughs> I have, because I'm fascinated by people and their, ju- their journeys and story. And, and and rather than going, what can we learn from this person and being really specific, I just want to have a conversation and hear the human side of this person. Like you, I think we're, we're very fortunate to have these shows where people would are willing to come in just have a conversation with us and have them share their stories. And that's why I'm loving this conversation for that exact reason, just hearing some of your stories. And um, very fortunate, I feel very grateful for this show. I, I wanna I want to finish up the show before I let you go just and, and talking more a little about the world of triathlon and getting your thoughts about where it is now and where do you think it's going? You know, you, you've retired from calling the race. I assume you're still kind of keep an interest. Um, this has been such a major part of your life, but what, what do you think of the sport now and where, you know, where it's going? I think it's
0: okay. You know, we, there, as you know, there's so many factions with different event companies and, and organizations now and, Mm. uh, and, and then the pros, you know, banding together and the PTO. And I think all that stuff is really good for the sport. I think the thing that, may not be as good as the lack of communication between those people. Yeah. Because I never feared competition when I was selling running shoes to whatever I was doing because competition can only make you greater. Mm -hmm. It can only make you stronger. If you fear it, you fear it for the right reasons because you know what? They may be doing something better than me. Mm. But I always communicated with my competitors. If I was selling a running shoe, I wanted to know what Nike was doing. I wanted to know what New Balance was doing. I, I was friends with the reps. And, and even though we were in competition with one another, you know, for that almighty dollar, for that almighty sale, uh, we respected what we did. Hmm. And at times we'd break bread and have a good time together, but then go out the next day and try to beat each other up. Hmm. That That's what competition is all about. Yeah, I think the sport may be lacking that a little bit. And it takes really big people to sit down at a table when you believe that other person's trying to take, Money out of your pocket, or trying to take mm. you know constituents away from you, or whatever it may be. So it, it that's a that's a tough road, and and I, I I would hope that in the years to come that the organizations would not solidify in the fact that they're all together doing you know one thing. They keep their their lanes, their categories as as they see they want to keep them, but then they have the lines of communication open. Mm. Uh, and you know this goes way back, Greg, right, to even when. Other organizations came into the running business, and somebody had put on a race on the same weekend as this other race in the country. I go, why'd they put it on the same weekend as 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 Gasparilla? You know, mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. when it's in a land, I, I go, why would they do that? They take, they actually take competitors away from one another. You know, and it was just really a lack of communication. Mm-hmm. So, I, I I think it's good. I I, I like what everybody's doing. Uh, I think they're trying to you know, create their own lane, their own category. You know, you always have that Ironman in the room because they have so many events and they're so well established, but that doesn't mean you're always the best Mm -hmm. just because you're the biggest. Mm -hmm. Uh, So to be the best, you have to know who your competition is and
1: have the lines of communication open. You really do. Mm. We, we have so many players right now, whether you're even looking at the Super League Triathlon to yeah. the PTO and, and their whole series and the Collins Cup that they're creating, and uh, then Ironman. And then you have events you know like Clash Endurance and, and a few others popping up around the world. And of course, you still have World Triathlon and all the ITU racing in the Olympics. Um, the, the one area that I think we're still missing and we could do better as a sport, is probably the grassroots racing, the entry-level racing. I do fear that people come into the sport and maybe they've done one small race and then immediately they want to do an Ironman and they're kind of two or three years and they're out of the sport altogether. I I still fear that our retention, it it could be better. And I, I think Ironman should stay as it is, but I think they could do more for getting people into the sport and and, and making it so it's not just to be an Ironman that makes you a triathlete. I feel like, you know, that's one area I think the sport could do better. But honestly, I look at all these different events around the world and all these people, I do think they're all trying to make the sport better. There there is that impact. And I think to your point, if they can communicate with each other, work with each other, yes, compete a little bit because like to your point, it does get the best out of people. But um, I think it's in a good place. I think there's... More money pouring in, that doesn't always mean better. But I think for the, if you're a professional triathlete right now, it does. But it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the next five to 10 years. Yeah, and the different the different organizations, obviously, they promote the sport. They, yeah, yeah. they may reach out to a
0: different group of people that one doesn't reach out to. So we, we all want the sport to grow. And the more people that are exposed to it, the higher likelihood that... That'll happen. Yeah, but yeah. you're right. On the entry level, there used to be so many entry level races: sprint this and sprint that. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, Olympic, even Olympic distance, and missing that, missing yeah, the Olympic yeah,
1: distance. Yeah,
0: yeah. They you just we they just don't see it, and the logistics. And I've talked to a lot of race directors. It's a it's a hard uh, distance to make any money at. You know, because yeah. you're taking up the same city streets and the whole deal. But then you don't have as many people doing the race. It's just. It, it, that's always been and, and i'm going to the endurance exchange conference in austin you know put on by usat at the end of the month and i'm just going as a fan now i don't have to MC or anything yeah, like that yeah you, you don't know how good that feels to <laughs> i, I want to sit out in the audience and just be just enjoy it yeah just yeah, be there yeah, yeah. And, and talk with the other event directors and everything and kind of see mm. where they're going and after that maybe i'll even get a better understanding of how the sport's doing you know especially here in the u.s but yeah but those shorter distance races are, have always been tough for event directors to put on that's good good feedback
1: well mate i want to finish up with just some more rapid fire questions are you up for yeah it? all right <laughs> there's a mixture of a bit of fun and, and a bit of serious so let's start with one book you would recommend
0: the Power of One. Ah, wasn't that a great book? I've read every... I got every one of Bryce Courtney's books right here. Yeah, that was fantastic. There's a whole other story because I I got to spend a week with him in Australia.
1: Yeah. What were yeah, some of the one. other books I did read a couple? It's gosh, it's 20 years ago since I read Oh my
0: gosh, The Potato Factory, yeah, Jessica. Right. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, she's got so many. One am I, I had a blank. I'm looking up at my
1: bookshelves. <laughs> someplace else. No, that's a good uh, one. Yeah, he's a ton of books. All right. Um, What would you tell your 18-year-old self?
0: Be yourself. Mm -hmm. Don't try to fake it because uh, it it doesn't work. Uh, And I tell my 18-year-old self to set bigger goals. Mm -hmm. It's hard to do at 18 because you're still trying to figure life out and relationships and stuff. Mm -hmm. But I think if you set bigger goals, it eventually will happen. But that. if you
1: don't set them, it'll never happen. I love that. I love that. Reach for the sky, people. You can always land on the moon. All right, mate. Uh, two most used apps on your iPhone or your phone. Most used apps on my iPhone.
0: There's a, there's a first. I've never been asked that before. <laughs> uh, I, I'd probably say Instagram and... Uh, Probably, probably WhatsApp. That's how I communicate with so many people around the world. Perfect, like back and forth with that. Yeah,
1: we got to get you on any question. The app I'm building yeah, with Baker. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I think we've sent the invite out to you. All right, what three people would you want to have dinner with? Non-family, living or dead. Bono. Nice. Uh, John F. Kennedy.
0: Wow. And I'd like to have Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> wow,
1: that's a yeah. great dinner. <laughs> Do you mind if I wait the tables for that one? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. All right, here's one. Here's an opinion one. Greatest triathlete of all time, male and female. Paula newby Frazier. hmm Nine-time Kona Ironman winner. Legend. Mark Allen. Yeah. Hard not to go say, Mark, especially if you're a bit old school. Yeah. I think we all have a soft spot for Mark. All right, out of 10, how cool are you? Out of 10,
0: how cool am I? <laughs>
1: Well, when I when I
0: dance to my wife and kids, I'm like a three. (laughs) And you know, I've danced a lot at finish lines, and some people come like, "Ah, Riley, you got some moves." And I go, "There's my wife over there. Go tell her." Oh, that's great. They all think I dance like Elaine on Seinfeld. So, uh, (laughs) oh my god.
1: So I'm I'm probably a five when it comes to cool. That was great. I've still got the image of Elaine. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, very good all right who would you want to play a movie of your life matt damon nice all right this is a big one coming up which decade of music
0: is best oh it's the 80s hands down i couldn't agree i can play everything at the finish line but all of a sudden when the 80s come on and i play a few from that 18 year olds are singing every lyric word for word as is the 75 year old i go the 80s just are like everybody. Yeah. I, even people who were into the 90s and
1: too, yep. something about the 80s. Well done. Thank you for that. I've had so many guests recently that have said, you know, 2000, 2010, or the 90s gets mentioned. I'm like, oh, the no. 80s, when you think of Simple Minds, U2, the yeah. cars, the Cure, Talking Heads, everybody. my God, I could just keep going on and on. <laughs> the, the, the 80s set the foundation for it all. Yeah. I
0: mean, obviously, the, six, the 60s set a lot of foundations. Oh well, well, yes, with, yes, I agree. Uh, something about the 80s, everybody's enamored by the 80s. All right, where where's some in the world you haven't been you'd like to go? Uh, really uh, South Africa. Mm, go on a safari. I was jealous. My daughter and her husband on their honeymoon went down there, and oh, I was so jealous, mm. uh, you know, with the elephants and the whole deal. That's so. where
1: Laura and I did our honeymoon as well back in 2004. Did you really? Yeah, yeah. It was... Truly, the greatest trip of our lives. Um, so please go do it. Yeah, right? I, I got to do go that. Just go do it, um, and don't worry about the money. It'll be forgotten about. Just go and do it. Right. <laughs> do it. Do it. Go do it right. You know what I mean. Enjoy I, I, it, and, and then I never about have.
0: It. One time where we took a big trip, and I go, you know what we're upgrading the first class. Yes. And my wife said, what's that going to cost? I go, don't ask. No. And then during the trip, she goes, this is the greatest thing ever. Yes. And I, I, I said, I'm so glad you didn't ask.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it only would have dampened the feeling. No, it's, it's so true, isn't it? These experiences, sometimes you just got to go do it. All right, la- last question for you. Greatest movie of all time? On the Waterfront. Hmm. The It's paired with Shawshank Redemption. Hmm. But yeah, On the Waterfront, Marlon Brando. I like that. Great. You know, you know, I ask these questions just for myself, right? I have this list of books and movies. And have you ever seen On the Waterfront? I don't think I have. I feel like I'm missing out.
0: Yeah, it's a raw boxing movie with Marlon Brando, probably the greatest role he ever had. And it's, you know, it's old school. Yeah. Back yeah. in the, yeah. I don't know when that movie was made. Yeah. Probably in the 60s, you know. But it just, it introduced me to the, you know, I grew up in a nice neighborhood. It it just introduced me to a raw way of living. I go, who lives like that?
1: Well, a lot of people do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I love that. I'm I'm going to check it out 100% on the waterfront with Marlon Brando. And look, don't get me wrong, my my favorite movie is a bit dated these days too is Chariots of Fire. And, you know, that's early 80s now, which I guess is getting out there. You Um, know, I took my dad to Chariots of Fire. My dad was a miler. mm -hmm. Uh, Owned
0: the Ohio record, was the third fastest miler in the country as wow. a high schooler ran with jesse owens at ohio state wow and uh i took him to Cherry's of fire and he goes i don't get it i go what do, what do you mean you don't get it you were a runner well we never did all those things those guys did <laughs> and, and i think he was taking it to the bare bones of- <laughs> yes he was running on cinder tracks, getting spiked, you know, in, yeah. the, in the calves and all that stuff. And I, I thought this was a great movie, and I was so disappointed. My dad didn't think it was like a great movie, and here you he was, a big time runner. I, I, I didn't get it. He was,
1: he was, he was really judging its accuracy because he exactly. was like, Hang on, "Yeah, yeah.
0: I, I didn't know it wasn't that accurate mm-hmm. in some things." You know? Yeah, well, it's
1: like if a great triathlon movie ever comes out, you, you and I aren't going to sit back and go and probably just enjoy it. We're going to be like, "That's not right," you know, "That's not what." happened, you know, you just become a little bit more judgmental. Well, Mike, yeah, this exactly. has been, you know, what, what, what's your plan to feed your days now, you know, over the, over Yeah, you know, a lot of people have been asking me that. Yeah, I yeah. posted
0: a picture the other day. Uh, I rode my gravel bike in the morning and then my next good friend down the street, he goes, hey, I want to go play nine holes. And I go, yeah. So I grabbed my golf clubs and we, so I rode my bike in the morning and, Played nine holes in the afternoon. I go now. This I can get used to.
1: But but we're gonna see you. We're gonna see you at events and things. You know, as a fan, are you gonna still put a couple on your calendar and 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 stay in the community so we all get to see you?
0: Yeah, I'm still trying to see what next year looks like. Yeah. uh You know, the whole idea too is not to be gone <laughs> so no,
1: much. Good. Yeah. On, on yeah.
0: weekends and and I don't want to come to an event and the other announcers and people come up to me, Mike. How oh, come will you call me an Iron Man? Will you? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I yeah. just I, I don't know I, I yeah. we just got to figure out what it looks like. Yeah. I'm yeah. still trying to figure that out. But I I got no worry about
1: of my days. It'll be fine. Well, Mike, uh, you know I'm a huge fan. Um, thank you, and I Greg. just truly really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your stories and your journey, um, and just so much knowledge. I really, really do appreciate you for coming on.
0: And thank you for what you've done in the sport. Your performances have thrilled. Oh my God, so many people. I just couldn't believe some of the things you did. <laughs> and then, and then to be able to continue this with the podcast and staying out there, and you know. it's interesting because when you have a foundation of anything you want that foundation to stay you don't want to live in it you don't want to live in the history you want to keep moving forward Mm. but you're a big part of the foundation
1: of the sport and I'm glad you're still a big part of it today well mate those words are very very thoughtful and very kind I appreciate you very much mate but again thanks for coming on and and for everybody listening you can find all the show notes and timestamps and everything else at bennettendurance.com forward slash media thanks again buddy aloha